Good morning to you on this glorious summer day. I'm uh, delighted to be here with all of you and be able to share this time. If you're a visitor with us this morning, your bulletin, it says fit for the journey on the front end, on the on the cover, also has a lot of information for you about what's going on here at Timberline. And if you want more information, there are tables out in the mall. Also, if you're a guest with us, the connection card that is in the seat back in front of you, you just slip that out and fill it out. And later, when we receive the offering later, if you'd like to slip that in, we're not going to sell it to an email, you know, like on an email list or buggy or anything like that. It's just a record of your visit. And if you want more information, complete information, you can always go to www.timberline.org, timberlinechurch.org. So thank you for being with us this morning. That's tremendous. I love weddings. I've been to scores and scores of weddings. I've officiated at numbers of weddings in churches and chapels and on university campuses and in farmyards. Back in the 70s, one of my favorite weddings was I did a wedding in the front of an old farmhouse in Illinois. And during the vows, a dog chased a cat up a tree. It was very moving. It was a good moment. And then we, for the reception, we had... Uh, Kool-Aid and cookies on the back porch and shot hoops against the side of the barn. So weddings, you know, they can come in all over. I've done them barefoot on the beach. But this last week, I got to be at one in an alpine meadow in the Rocky Mountains. I've never done or been at a wedding in an alpine meadow in the Rocky Mountains. And it was really, I'd like to tell you about it. But just before I do that, we're in the middle of a series called Fit for the Journey. And within that series, we're looking at core areas uh, connected with Timberline, on, on which Timberline is based, with the theme, Let Love Live. That's sort of the theme of our congregation. And so the five peaks or the five areas that we talk about are love embraces, love teaches, love reaches, love releases, and this morning, love expresses. Love embraces talks about the care we give each other. Love Teaches talks about the nurturing spiritual formation components that each of us need. Love Reaches, that Pastor Jeff spoke of last week, is how does Jesus expressed in my life in word and deed. And Love Releases is how do we release each other and get released for service? Where do our skill sets match the task and so forth? Now, if I were a fitness person, we'd look at those things in a different way, we talk about you need uh, cardio training, so you need aerobic strengthening, you need strength training, you need good nutrition, you need sleep, you need relational engagement, all the things that make us healthy. So the fit for the journey idea has to do with how we are healthy. But today, love expresses, that is facilitating our response to God through the arts, is the theme. Anyway, last Saturday I was at this ranch up on the, in the Rocky Mountains, and it was cool because you came to the parking lot, and in order to be transported to the meadow, you got in the back of a wagon pulled by Percheron horses. It was, so it was like draft horses, and if you're on the B team, I guess you got the one that was pulled by the tractor. That was cool too, but it's not as good as Percheron horses. And we were up there, and we're together, and we're ready for the wedding, and the bride comes. And she comes over the top of the hill in that Percheron drawn wagon with her dad and with the little kids who are going to put the pedals down the aisle and all that. You know, at any moment, I expected Julie Andrews to come spinning over one of those mountains singing, the hills are alive. You know, that it was just one of those moments. But the thing that captured me was the simple, unadulterated joy 
of the moment. And when I looked at David and Cammie, the two who were getting married, the thing I saw in their faces, and I was up close and personal, was adoration. They adored each other. They were expressing their love for each other with adoration. And when you look at Scripture, when you look at the heart of what love expresses is in Scripture, it's our response to God. Listen to how it says it in Psalm 95. And the words will be on the screen for you if you don't have your Bibles. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. I, I was on that trail ride that you saw last week with Pastor Jeff and our friend Steve. And, and out there, Steve said, this is the place where I connect with, uh, with, with God. Some, some of you are mountain people, and you get out there in the, those Rockies and the streams and the Aspens, and the, the presence of God, you sense him. and say, Well, you should, because he made it, okay? Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. The flock under his care. In, we, in our relationship to God, we call love that is expressed to him worship. Now, we can say with Brother Lawrence, who was a, a monk, a French monk back in the 1600s. We could say that our whole life is worship. He wrote some letters to one of his superiors that were put into a little booklet later on. And this is a this is a man who spent 40 years in the kitchen in a Catholic community in France. He scrubbed pots and pans. And that that was his deal. And uh, this little these letters were put together in a little booklet called Practicing the Presence of God. This is what he says. The time of work, said he, does not with me differ from the time of prayer. Let me say that again. The time of work does not differ from the time of prayer. In the noise and clatter of my kitchen while several persons are at the same time calling for different things. That sounds like a mom. In the, in the clatter of the kitchen when several people are calling for different things. I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the Blessed Supper. So there's, there's a very real sense in which our whole lives are worship. But my question this morning is a little more specific in focus. My question is why? Worship. Why do we do it? Well, first of all, worship puts God at the center. Point number one on your on the back of your bulletin is worship puts God at the center. In verse 15 of Genesis 2, this is how it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Last year when we talked out of Genesis on, on I think it was economics, I said every business guy, every businesswoman would love this deal. Here is the person who's putting up the capital. Here is the person who's creating the garden. And he says, you get the whole thing except one tree. No businessman does that. Nobody who's an investor does that except the most high God that we worship. 
He says, I'll give you the whole deal. Except this tree in the center of the garden, that expresses my sovereignty in your life. I want your obedience at that point. If you violate that, then the deal's off, if you will. When I worship, it puts God at the center of who I am. It reorient, reorients me. It recalibrates my life when I look at God. That's just, that's just how it is. Well, I'm going to ask my, my friend Tom, who led us in worship this morning, to come help me. Tom, let's thank Tom for what he's doing. Tom is helping us this summer with, with uh, Love Expresses. Slide right up here. I'm going to move. I'm going to move my Bible off. You just slide right up here next to me. And uh, Tom is not just good on a guitar. I mean, he's. I mean, he is good on it. But but that's not all. He has a great heart. He's thoughtful. And uh, I want to ask you this question: When I say worship, what do you think of? Well, oddly enough, you'd think music playing the guitar, but but worship. The very essence of it surrenders the valuable. The thing most valuable, valuable in our lives. Worship surrenders the valuable. Like you were explaining with your uh, marriage that you did up in the mountains. They were giving their love to one another, but they were actually surrendering to one another. Yeah. And the first time we actually see the word worship in the Bible is in Genesis where Abraham is surrendering his son, that which is most valuable, Isaac, to the Lord. God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, which is the object and, and the very embodiment of the promise. And, and, and I don't like that story. It's no, a that's, story. You know, it's a scary story. That's not as nice, nice as the wedding picture. No, of, that's of, a better surrender. story. But, but that piece... Mm-hmm. That idea of surrendering what is valuable is at the core of me. Yep. And, and Abraham uh, says, actually, when he goes to actually do this act, he spends three days journeying from where he lived to the place called Moriah. He gets there, and he says to the two uh, attendants that, that went with them, you guys wait here while my son and I go and worship. And this is Genesis 22. And, and that's the first place that the idea or the word worship is used. First time the word worship surfaces in, in the Bible. It's interesting it doesn't have the music and the songs and all that kind of stuff. And, but it has the idea of surrendering and giving ourselves completely over to the one that we worship, to the one that we value above all things. That idea is reflected. And Tom and I talked about this a few days ago, and I loved his ideas. That's why I said, come and, come and do this. How about that part in Romans 12? Well, Romans 12 is, is the neat New Testament uh, passage that really speaks the same thing. It says, in view of God's mercy, which aren't you glad God views us with mercy? <laughs> you got that right. When we come out and say, here I am, Lord, he's not just waiting to bang on our heads. But, but he has merciful eyes and he's ready to embrace us. In view of God's mercy, let's lay down our bodies as living sacrifices. In the New International Version, then it goes on and says, this is our spiritual act of worship. The idea of surrender, the idea of laying oneself down. We get that when we move into human relationships. But when we do it with with uh, a God relationship, since he's the maker, it's, it's a totality, it's deeper than anything else we do. What else? What else about worship? Well, kind of even playing off of that thought, God is God and he's the one we're, ha- we're wanting to have a relationship with. Well, he's perfect, right? Yeah. And last time I checked, I, I wasn't. I don't know about even, even from how, a distance. How you're doing today. <laughs> 
And we all have our issues. And so sometimes it, we, we feel very awkward in coming to God. But, but worship also is honest expression to God. God doesn't just expect us to, to, to show up and say all the right things and do all the right things. But the cool thing about God, I found out a long time ago, which I so appreciate is, God doesn't expect you or me to be any place other than where we are right now in say, our lives. Say that again. One God, more time. God doesn't want us to be, or God doesn't expect us to be, any place other than where we are right now. And in that, then we can express ourselves in the present state of our confusion, struggles, joy, happiness, questions. Like David. Like David. In the book of Psalms, we, we, we see dialogue happening uh, with David and the other psalmists expressing very real emotions and feelings that almost seem contrary to, to someone that believes in God, where David is saying things like, God, you've completely forsaken me. Where are you? You've left me. You know, and we know God. He, is, he isn't just a whiner. Well, he did a little whining. He might be a whiner. Sure, yeah. But, but the cool thing was he wasn't whining horizontally to people. He was whining to God. He went vertical with his whining. And then the whining turned into some perspective because he, he began to, to say, well, but God, since I'm whining at you and I know that you're high and lifted up and you can run everything and you really never have left me, then it's all going to be cool. And you can see in, in the progression of many of the Psalms, it starts out with some whining, some complaining, some confusion. But because that dialogue is with the Lord, then perspective comes and faith and hope comes and, and, and fills David or whoever the psalmist's hearts. Even, we're, we're talking essentially that worship is a heart attitude. It's how I position myself in my heart toward the Most High. But along the way, the arts come in. Yeah. And, you know, you get the music, get all that. How do people, if they wanted to connect and be a part of what's going on here, how do they do that? Yeah, we're, we're really excited about what God's doing here. And, and I just want to give it up real quick for all of our musicians and our technical people that are running things. Can we just give them a big hand yeah. real quick? They work really hard. And our whole heart really is to help facilitate musically and with the arts this connection, you know, with God. So uh, if, if you have any desire, any of you out there, musical, technical type people, please call the church, ask for the Love Express's office, and they'll get you in touch with Jenny, and she will uh, tell you how to get, get plugged in. Okay. And how about tonight? Tell us what's T going on. Tonight. And, and this is on the right page of the bulletin, so if you've got your bulletin. Look okay. On the right page of the bulletin, <laughs> 6 o'clock tonight in, in here, we're going to have a night of worship. And uh, I just want to put out the official invitation uh, from all of us at, with the Love Expressive Ministry here for you to come and be a part of it. We're going to spend an hour or a little bit more than that just worshiping, adoring, pouring our hearts out, surrendering, maybe whining a little bit, but, but then declaring his glory uh, in this place. So hope to see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Bless you. Let's thank Tom for his help. <clears throat> So where, where do the arts figure in in all this? I, um, I, I'm fascinated by this verse in Ephesians 2.10 that starts with God, where he says, For we are, God's, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's art history. He's the great artist. He's the great creator. And uh, one of the translations of this scripture or paraphrase is that we are God's poem. 
So I'm, I'm standing in front of a bunch of poems, a bunch of expressions, unique individual expressions of the heart of God. But there are that that idea of artistry is really captured in lots of people. There are people in this congregation who paint and sculpt and do all those things. I have a friend who's a plastic surgeon who's part of this congregation. His name is Mark, and he is a world-class plastic surgeon, and he his specialty is fixing cleft palates in babies. He, he gives them a smile, if you will. He gives them a, a face. And I asked him some, some months back, I said, so what, what's at the heart of what you do, apart from your compassion and your skill, what's, he said, at heart, I'm an artist. When you ask little kids in the first grade, how many artists do we have? You know, they all, they're all artists, you know. Doesn't mean they color inside the lines, it means they're artists. They express themselves. By the time you get to the sixth grade, and you say, how many artists? Just a couple of folks, because it's been worked out of them, or something's gone on. And it, but at the core, we are that, and that you can do paint or dance or drama or sculpture or poetry, but not so many of us can do all those. You don't want me to dance for you. I'm just telling you that, okay? But, but music, now there's something that goes everywhere around the world from the earliest days, from a, from a mom holding a baby and singing, Tura, Lura, Lura, Tura, Lura, a little Irish lullaby or whatever, from the... At a wedding, it's music. At a memorial service, it's music. Even in war, it's music. The Romans hated the Scots because those, those were crazy people up there in the north of the, of the British, what we know as the British Isles. They'd paint their faces and they'd get the drums going and then the bagpipes, that's enough to scare the bejeebers. I, I mean, they just, you know, and then they'd put on skirts and come screaming over the hill. <laughs> in the Second World War, they called them the screaming ladies from hell. That's what they, I'm just telling you what they called them. But every celebration, you got music. The TV has music. The movies have music. The iPods have music. You go to the store to buy jeans. You, you buy jeans to music. What is that about? Because it sets a tone. It gives you information. It connects deep in you. Daniel Levitin, who's a neuro, neuromusicologist, that's a guy who studies the brain and music, has a book called The World in Six Songs. And he said there are six kinds of songs that connect the whole world. Songs of friendship, joy, comfort, knowledge, religion, and love. We get all six of those themes right here. Friendship, joy, comfort, knowledge, I'll put God instead of religion, and love. Something happens when we sing. Whether you sing by yourself in the shower... Or whether you're singing with a group of folks like this, whether it's kids in a bus on a field trip singing crazy songs, or whether it's us worshiping, something happens, physically happens when you sing. Now, they didn't know that when they, when they wrote the Psalms and all this. But what we know now is that when you sing together, your brain releases a hormone called oxytocin. It's not oxycontin, that's the druggo thing. Oxytocin. It's, it's released... When you sing together, that's why you feel a bonding a lot of times when you lift your heart in song. It's the same hormone that's released when a mother is nursing a baby. It's that kind of thing. It's what's called the connecting hormone. You feel it when you sing songs of revolution like We Shall Overcome or songs of revelation like Amazing Grace. 
You, you feel it when you're in a car singing with your kids. Ruth and I used to take our kids across the country from Illinois to California every other summer when we lived in Urbana, Illinois, near the university. And we'd get them in the I've told you this. We'd get them in the car. It was called a station wagon. Some of you remember what those are. And we, and we had a Plymouth Fury for a while that was, I mean, it was huge. Like got four miles to the gallon, but it was very cool. And we'd put a mattress in the back. We had four kids, and we'd lay them out there, and we'd take off. And somewhere along the line, in that long, long journey from Illinois to California, we'd start singing songs. We'd driving across Kansas singing, Oh, beautiful, four spacious skies, four amber waves of grain. Get to Colorado, we're singing, Four purple mountain majesty. But, or, or we'd sing songs from musicals that the kids were singing in the church, like... I am a promise, I am a possibility, I am a promise. Anybody know that song? With a capital P, I am a great big bundle of potentiality. See, you know, some of you guys know that song. <laughs> you see, I came to church to hear an old guy sing. What's this about? <laughs> but melodies are deep in our brains. Melodies put to words help us remember words. You could remember much more of a text if you have a melody to it. I've told you this before, but I want to tell you again. When I was 10 years old, I went to a kid's camp, and there was a guy there who later turned out to be my father-in-law 11 years later. I didn't know it at the time. But he taught us the books of the Bible to a song. Come, let us Christian try to tell the books of the Bible we know so well. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st St. Samuel, 1st St. Kings, Chronicles and Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, name, back except nine, Zechariah, Malachi, you know that song. And eight years later, I transferred from Cal Berkeley after my freshman year to a little Christian college where in the in the entrance exam, they had how many books of the Bible can you write down? And all around the room, you heard kids going, no, 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 because melody drives it deep into my brain. Music is one of the last things to go from the creation, from Jubal Cain, the maker of instruments in Genesis to the psalmist David 3,000 years ago, singing what we read in the psalms. He sang them. To Jesus in the Chronicles where you have the new temple and they bring in this Ark of the Covenant, this holy artifact, if you will. And uh, it says in Second Chronicles that you had 120 trumpets on one side of the altar and you had singers on the other side singing the, the mercy of God is great, his love endures forever. And they, and they made one sound and it's like God couldn't stand it. And he showed up, because it, sort of like it called God out and said, we invite your presence because of this glorious expression of wonder and praise. Every day in the temple they would sing the Psalms. Scripture only records Jesus singing one place at the Last Supper. And it said, and they sang a hymn and went out. The hymn they probably sang was the Hallel, which was Psalm 118. And these are the words of Psalm 118 in the middle of the psalm. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And he went out to Gethsemane and the cross. Where does it come from? 
Zephaniah 3.17 says it this way. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Who is this God who looks at us and breaks into song? It says he rejoices over us with singing. He's not going to rebuke. We're his artistry. He loves it. Apparently, I'm just telling you what it says. I didn't make this up. The reason we worship him is because he started it. He rejoices over us. And we respond when when Mary finds out she's going to bear the child Jesus. She responds this way in Luke 146. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And we took that later and put it to music and called it the Magnificat. So here are Dave and Cammie in the Alpine Meadow, adoring each other, if you will. And adoration is a two-way street. Here is the God who cheers us on, and we are responding to him. First John says, in the first epistle that John wrote, he says, I love him because he first loved me. Ruth and I have been blessed with three wonderful sons-in-law. They all bring something different to the party, but our our oldest son-in-law, Van, whenever I tell him, Van, I love you, he always says, love you back. I would submit to you as point four that worship is loving God back. In its simplest form, worship is us saying to God, love you back. It's often in melody and rhythm and rhyme and beat and harmony. Sometimes it's in physicality, like it says we bow down. Or some of you come from a tradition where you genuflect. Some of us come from a tradition where we put our hands up. Some of you who are guests, you saw people with their hands up like that. You say, I, you know, I just can't do that. I can do a little of this, but I can't do that. And why, do, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Well, it's pretty natural to do that when you're excited about something, you know. You go, you, you cheer for the Broncos, and sometimes you cheer for the Rockies, and, and, you, and you just... It's interesting because they've done studies with people who cannot see, who have never seen. And when you tell them good news, they say, yes. My image is when our kids were small, they would come toddling up to me as preschoolers and say, up, daddy. I would submit to you that this is up, daddy. That it's surrender. It's openness. It's wanting help. It's wanting a different view from a higher perspective. We desire his presence to know his heart. We want to rest in his power. It touches the deepest part of me. Some years ago, I was speaking at a conference in East Tennessee in a place called Gatlinburg. Anybody know about Gatlinburg? You know, and uh, the folks that I was talking to were very conservative folks. It was all dark suit, very. And I'm a California guy, so I, you know, I was doing my best to be conservative. And uh, and the leader was a funny guy, tremendous guy, dear friend, but very conservative. And the person who got the music for the conference was the youth guy for the state of Tennessee. So they introduced the music and up walks a guy. And this is 30 years ago, so this is a different scene. But up walks a guy dressed all in black. He's from Nashville, got a ponytail with a couple of earrings. And I'm watching the leader and he is stone faced. He is just like this. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, help us here. And this guy pulls out an instrument and he says, this is a sax cello. This is something like a soprano sax. 
They stopped making these in 1931. He said, but I found this some years ago in a pawn shop in Cincinnati. I walked in and there was an ashtray made out of the bell of this instrument. And I asked the guy, do you have the rest of this instrument? He said, well, maybe up in the attic. He said, could we see if we could find it? He said, we went to the fourth floor, open windows, pigeons had been in there. And here lay the rest of this instrument. It was corroded, had pigeon droppings on it. He said, I bought the instrument for $50 and took it to the best woodwind restorer in New York City. And this is it. He said, um, I've lived a hard life. For 26 years, I've played in a band at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And it was just totally debauched and struggled. And what Jesus did was he found me broken and corroded and all crudded up. And he redeemed me and cleaned me up and gave me a song. And they punched up the song. And it was an old gospel song in the garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And it goes on to say, and he, Jesus, walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And he started playing that in Dixieland jazz. And I don't have much hair, but what I had was standing on end. (laughs) And I look over at this guy, this leader, real conservative. Tears are just streaming down his face because music takes it to the heart of my soul. Whether it's the Hallelujah Chorus or Jesus Love Me or, or Black Spirituals, whatever it is, it takes me there. The National Prayer Breakfast this last February, it was a tremendous time. 3,600 people from 150 nations. The lead Chilean miner from those 33 miners trapped for 69 days, 2,000 feet below the earth. He came. The president of Chile sent his chaplain as an interpreter. The president spoke for a few moments. The keynote speaker was Randall Wallace, who wrote the screenplay for Secretariat and Braveheart. And then they closed the prayer breakfast with a song sung by Alison Krauss, 20-time Grammy Award winner. And when she started to sing, it was worship. How we're going to close our time this morning is this. Alison's going to sing for us. And I just encourage you to just worship with her as she sings. And then Tom's going to move right into a, to an old psalm, 3,000 years old, called As the Deer Pants for the Water, Psalm 42. And then he'll stop playing and we'll just sing together that thing called the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings. So we'll just sing it without instruments because you don't have. Most of the time you sing, you don't have a guitar. You just sing like in the car. So that's how we're going to close our time. So let's just worship as Alison Krauss leads us.
When we worship you, it's safe to tell you what we think and feel and know. It really is loving you back. Just with our heads bowed and no one looking this morning, I just want to ask one question. Some of us here might say, I, I, I really struggle with surrender to God. Beck, I really struggle with that. But in this moment, I really want to. It's possible that you've never said to the Most High God, I want to give my life to you. This might be that moment. For some of us, we've got so much stuff going on that we just need this moment to say, God, I just, I just give it to you. I'm going to ask you if you're that person or those persons, just to slip up your hand, just so I can see it. I'm not going to call you out or call you down. I just want to pray at the close. You'll just slip up your hand and say, I'm one of those people. Yep, yep. I see numbers of us across the sanctuary. Yes, yes, you can put your hand down. Lord, you have seen honest hearts. We would be a surrendered people because then we're a free people. We would be a surrendered people because we're a whole people. We would be a surrendered people because surrendered people exalt in loving you back. That's what we want to do. Bless these, we pray. May something profound be happening by your spirit even as we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We started a few minutes ago by reading Psalm 95, which goes like this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. We've been doing that. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Now, i got to tell you, I'm not a big shouter. Unless, of course, our grandson Cameron scores a run or gets a hit or strikes somebody out over in Windsor in the baseball league he's in as a fourth grader. Then I'm all over. I've got the hands up. i got the whole thing going. But generally, I'm not a shouter. J.B. Phillips, who was a pastor in London at the end of the last war, paraphrased scripture. And in that paraphrase, he says, hallelujah means three cheers for Jesus. Now, I've got to tell you, some of you are looking at me and saying, oh boy, this doesn't sound good. What's good? This does not sound good. What's coming? When I was a little kid, some of you know this, I was brought up in a, in a British boarding school in South India. And the, and the Brits at that time, back in the 40s, a little more conservative than they are now, but they had a very precise way of cheering when somebody won something. You'd win a race, and they'd gather around you, and somebody would say, hip, hip, and everybody would say, hooray, and say, hip, hip, hooray, and they'd do it three times, three cheers. And that's just from winning a race. This, we're talking about the Most High God. We're talking about the Creator of the universe. So we're just, this is going to be fun. I'm just going to, this is the benediction. You ready for this? I'm going to do the hip, on the count of three, and you just, okay, here we go. One, two, three. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Go love your week. The prayer team is coming. Those of you who would like prayer, come to the front and we will be here.